You're listening to the Irish Times Roisin Meets podcast. This week, my guest on the podcast is the one and only Kevin Rowland, who many of you will know as the author of a song called Come On Eileen. But there is many, many other songs that he has written and contribution that he has made to music so far and indeed will go on to make. He has an album that's been called A Masterpiece uh, from 1985, which is called Don't Stand Me Down. And we were delighted to have him on. He's doing a DJ set in the Grand Social as part of Music Town on Saturday. So we talked about everything really, him coming from Mayo and going back to Wolverhampton and his life there growing up with Irish parents and how he got into music. And then I made the mistake of asking him, was he loaded because of Come on Eileen? And he wasn't too keen on that. You want to see my bank statement? No! I just... Well, a letter from my accountant. Oh no, come on, Kevin. Conversation went all over the place and he's he's a lovely fella. We talked about his music and I think you're going to enjoy this. Hello, Kevin. Roisin. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. Good. Good breathing. How about you? Yeah, just about breathing away. That's the main thing. Okay. You were at the launch of Creative Ireland there a few weeks ago. I know you I don't. Was. I don't. You don't know loads of details about it. But what do you think of the initiative? As much as you know about it. Well, I don't know the details. Like I say, and there was something here by the Labour government in the nineties that looked good, but didn't turn out to be great. Hopefully, this one will be better. I certainly thought the idea of every child having the opportunity to learn, I forget what it was now, but an instrument or, you know... Or dance or drama or something like that. Dance or drama, something creative. Every single child. I just thought that sounds amazing. Yeah, and if they do do that, it is amazing. So I suppose we should uh, keep our fingers crossed and glass half half full instead of being... Not at the time over here, we're kind of naysaying on about things and we, we're suspicious about whether things will actually come off. But maybe it will. You're a cynical bunch <laughs> over there, huh? <laughs> well, you know all about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the worst. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I would be, it's a great idea. Love it. Great. Oh, well, listen, I, speaking of Irishness and uh, mm-hmm. all the Irish in you, you were actually from, your parents are from Mayo. Yeah. So Cross tell Malina. us about that uh, Cross Malina growing up there. I mean, you were there from one to four, is that right? God, you got, you've done your research. I've done. I've yes. been reading about you all morning. Have you? <laughs> yeah. None of it's true. Um, well, okay. Yeah, I lived there from one to four. Started school there, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. I had a fight on my first day. I remember that much. What um, was it about? What the, the fight? fight? I have no idea. <laughs> and I'm, same with most of them that continued in later life. You know, I remember the farm. My dad's farm, which wasn't far away. Both my parents are from there, although they met here. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember quite a lot, really. And then you moved back to, because you were born in Wolverhampton, then you moved back mm-hmm. there. So what yeah. was Wolverhampton like as a place to be a kid? Frightening, coming from Ireland. It was dark, and it was urban. You know, it was total opposite. And um, me, we were kind of terrorised for a little while by the local kids, you know. Um, I can remember being in the house. Our parents had gone out shopping and left us all in, you know. I mean, my brother was, you know, he was like 10 or something. And they'd left, and we were in. But I remember these kids who were trying to get in the windows and stuff to beat us up. And uh, <laughs> I was terrified. I was like four or five. But we made friends with them as time went on, you know. Okay. And did you was that to do with you having been from Ireland and being a bit, bit different to all the rest? I don't know. I don't know. Um, certainly they would, have had a, they would have had a lot of getting used to because over the next few years, loads of blacks and Asians moved in that street, you know. Yeah. And it probably was to do with that. It probably was to do with that. It could be, yeah, probably. 
Yeah. And then what age were you when you moved to London? Uh, 11, just 11. And what what did you think of that, the change from, from Wolverhampton to London? Well, I was really excited about it. Um, you know, it sounded like a great thing. London sounded glamorous and exciting. Um, yeah, it was a big change from Wolverhampton. It's a big change. Um, in those days, there was a big divide, you know, between the Midlands and the South or the North and the South, you know? Yeah. Um, the kids in London were much smarter dressed. I mean, they'd still be working-class kids, but they'd be, you know, much smarter dressed. And um, school seemed to be of a higher standard, you know. Uh, and, um, was it Harrow you were in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, northwest London, yeah. So kind of a deprived enough area, would you say? No, not really. I mean, the, the Harrow and the hill, the, 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 on the, the bit on the, is a really posh bit. That's yeah. on the top of the hill. No, not deprived, but working class area, very much so. And you know your parents have both been Irish, even though they met they met in England, but yeah. were, were they the kind of, you often hear of second generation Irish people, the, the Irish people go over to England and they're almost more immersed in the culture because of the fact that they're away. Was it something in your house all the time, music, various different, you know, things about Ireland going on, visitors all the time? I think there was an ambivalence about it. Certainly my mum was into it more, but my dad was quite ambivalent about it. And I said to him about, I don't know, about 10 years ago, I said, well, Dad, why weren't you interested? Why, why, why were we not really part of the Irish community? We were part of it, but we, we weren't really in it. We were on the edge of it, really. And he said, uh, there was an awful lot of drinkiness. Those were his words. That's the way he looked at it. So I think he was ambivalent. He was very ambitious, you know. He was torn himself. He was very ambitious. He wanted us to do well at school, get on well, all that kind of stuff, and probably meet English people as well. Because the Irish, although he was proud of being Irish, you know what I mean? The Irish were not, you know, um, they were not something that English people would be aspiring to back in those days. Yeah. You know, this is how it was. They were seen as, you know, kind of below working class, the ones that had just come over. Yeah. They just were. I mean, there was expressions like, he looks like he's just got off the boat, you know, and that's how it was. And um, I think my dad wanted to escape some of the poverty from Ireland and all that, you know what I mean? And and he didn't want us to, you know, he was very ambitious and very hardworking, probably a workaholic, you know. Um, But um, at the same time, he was very torn. Like when my sisters would start to date English boys when they were teenagers, you go, oh, why don't you meet some nice Irish blokes instead of them little pipsqueaks? <laughs> <laughs> so they couldn't really, we couldn't win really. It was like that, you know? What, what did he do for a living? Building. Okay. Like the rest of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's not very original, is it? <laughs> no. But I suppose that was the only choice he had really. Yeah. Yeah, he was very lucky. He said that, yeah, he just kind of got in with some guys and they helped him and, yeah. How many yeah. Of, of you were there? Five kids. Okay. Yeah. And what sort of a, a dad was he and, and your mum? Were they strict parents or what kind of...? My dad was very strict. Very, very strict. Strict man. And my mum was much more easygoing. Yeah. But, you know, but still reasonably strict, really. Yeah. So tell us about getting into music first and the first kind of musical influences you had. Um, well, I just loved music from the off, really. 
you know, I loved Elvis and all the bands, the groups of the 60s and all that, you know, the beat groups. Just any music. I just loved it from the off. Just wanted to listen to music and, you know, look at people singing. That was just my main interest for, you know, forever, really. And then what about getting involved yourself in terms of, was that sort of inevitable because of the passion you had? I don't know, really. I think what it was is my mum, bless her, she bought me a guitar when I was 10. Wow. Yeah. But um, I was already kind of struggling at school, and although I learned a little bit of it, I didn't really learn it because um, I just kind of saw it as maths, and it kind of is maths in a way, <laughs> music. Um, you've got to know that side of it. And I don't know. I was kind of, um, I, anyway, I didn't really, didn't really learn it. But, and then I just sort of messed around, you know, I would try and maybe play a song here and there on the guitar. My brother was playing by this time. My older brother, Pete, was six years old when he was playing, so I'd sometimes try and work it. But I didn't really have much concentration. I struggled with concentration at school and all that. So, um, but I was very lucky. What happened to me... I mean, at any time, I probably could have played two or three songs on a guitar, and I was maybe occasionally I'd write something, you know, make one up, but yeah. that was it. But when I was about 20, I was very lucky. My brother was in a working men's club, social club band at the weekends in Birmingham, and the guitarist was leaving, and he gave him six months' notice, and my brother said, if you learn all the songs in six months, you can join. So that was, that was a great incentive for me, and I practiced every day, and then I, that's how I got started, really. Because you left school at around 15, so you obviously it wasn't something, you know, academically you weren't really engaged. I was not, definitely not. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> That's a very uh, polite way of putting it. <laughs> if people were to look back at you then in, in your teens in school, what sort of uh, character would they have said you were? Um, I think it depends who, uh, who, uh, who, who you talk to, because I think I was a bit of a chameleon. I was a good boy at home. Yeah. Um... But um, I wasn't when I got out of the house, and sometimes I found it quite difficult to go to school. Because, I mean, literally in those days, they would try and teach you stuff. At one of the school, the last school I went to before I left, when I was like 15, they would teach you something. You had to memorise all these lines of Shakespeare. And then you would have to recite them the next day. And if you couldn't recite them, they'd, they'd hit you with a strap. So that's, mm. that's kind of what they did, you know. And I was not very good at learning stuff, so I just kept getting more and more behind. And after a while, I just thought, I'm not going to go in today. Fair enough. And how were so, you with authority generally? Um, one of two ways, either people-pleasing or completely rebellious. That's interesting. And probably ultimately, I'd probably start off people-pleasing them, then get very resentful about it, <laughs> and then explode or rebel in some way. Did that carry on for a long time? It probably did, because I wasn't aware of it. Yeah. I had no concept of it. Yeah. It's interesting, because they're two extremes, aren't they? Two different sort of... Uh, yeah. Reactions. Yeah. yeah, I guess they are. Well, they are. They yeah. are. And so was this a new... Was this before you got into the band and when you were just, you were passionate about music but you weren't doing anything, was it kind of like the start of things for you? Did you feel like you were, did some, was it like a light bulb going off? Did it feel it like was. this is what you should be doing? This is exactly right. This is what I should be doing instead of all them jobs that I'd had. And, and around the same time I got into hairdressing and that seemed like a really good thing, a really right thing for me that I'd always wanted to do but 
I think I felt in the area I grew up with, not just my family, but the area I grew up in, it's quite macho, you know. Mm. And if you said you wanted to be a lady's hairdresser or a woman's, woman's as well as men's hairdresser, I don't know. I can totally see you, though, actually. I don't know. I can, I can see you cutting hair. Well, I did. Yeah. I did. And I, and I loved it. And I would be, like, staying behind afterwards when I was training and when I'd finished. I'd be doing it. I'd be cutting people's hair in the evening and friends and, you know, I just loved it. I loved it. Um, I read one thing where you were saying that you had very short hair once, but then because you have curly hair when it grew out, it really looked a bit of a state. It sounded like a traumatic time. It was. God, you've been reading it. Where the hell did you get that from? <laughs> huh? I don't know. I can't remember. There's so many things Jesus. I've read. Go on, what was it like? You were sort of a skinhead and then it, then you grew yeah, it out. Yeah, then the fashion grew, that like you had to have your hair long. Everyone started growing their hair long, and I was like, oh, no. It just grew outwards. <laughs> and I was, I was dark anyway, and I'd, I'd um, you know, one thing being Irish, um, but I was getting taken for mixed race. Oh, God, because you're sort of swarthy, aren't you? Yeah. I'm swarthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm swarthy. It must be the, uh, what do you call it, the, uh, the Armada. Must be a bit of Spanish in you there. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> yeah, who knows? But um, you anyway, I distracted there with the old talk of, of hair. But you were in the hairdressing and you liked that, but then music was, was even more. Yeah, I mean, I was actually, I was really enjoying, you know, like cutting hair Monday to Saturday, whatever it was, maybe a day off, Tuesday to Saturday. And, um, you know, playing music on the weekends, my brother's band, Friday and Saturday. Then eventually he let me sing. He was a singer. He let me sing a bit, some backing vocals, and then join him in songs, and then a couple of my own, and then I started writing songs and that. And then uh, then I did have to make a decision to leave the hairdressing, you know. But I was starting to get a bit... It was going through a boring period. Like, it was going through a boring period with this show on telly called The Six Million Dollar Woman, Farrah Fawcett Majors. Yeah. The Bionic um, Woman, wasn't it? I think it was. Yeah, because it was woman. six yeah. million dollar man, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Bionic woman. Anyway, Paraphorsit Majors was a thing. Yeah. For some people, but all these women just kept coming in. Come in, the Paraphorsit <laughs> Majors. <laughs> it's like please. the Rachel hair from Friends. That's what the modern equivalent was. Right. Remember? There you go. Yeah. So it got really dull. Whereas, like a year earlier, two years earlier, it'd been all these great shapes and, and colours, and you'd be <laughs> colouring it, and it'd be really exciting and interesting. I just seemed to be getting all the conservative ones, the ones who wanted all the conservative haircuts, and I was getting really bored of that. So you were better off out of it then, with just doing Farrah Fawcett's all day long. It was a big. It was. I mean, you know, it wasn't all day long, but it was. It was a good. It was the best one in Birmingham, and it wasn't that all. But I just seemed to be. It seemed to be going through that phase. I mean, it was a big thing for me. I mean, afterwards, I remember like a year later, I went back to the back there because I used to go in there to get my hair cut and the, the guy who owned it, he owned a couple of them places, went, oh, come back and work for me and, you know, I was like broke at the time and I was thinking, God, that sounds attractive you know, but I think I knew I just had to do music really So you were yeah. with your brother and then did you when did you kind of go off on your own then? Well about, I think it was 76 um, I thought I'm going to form a band and stay in my brother's band, you know I'm going to form another band and then uh, in the evenings and I started to do that so I had the two things going then my brother, bless him, he had a brain hemorrhage so um, I carried on his band for a little while but eventually I had to let it go and um, 
and I just started, you know, I just carried on with this other band that we'd formed, which was initially called Lucy and the Lovers, and then we changed it to the Killjoys. Okay. Yeah. And how, sorry, how happened to your brother then in terms of the, the brain hemorrhage? Did oh, he's, he was okay. Oh, okay. He, he passed some years later, but uh, yeah, he, he survived that, yeah. Okay, and so you had the band, and then when did, when did, did you from an early time when you, when you were sort of the leader of a band, did you always have a vision for what you became known for, which is like making the, the, vi- the look of everybody and what they did and what the sound was like? Were you... A control freak in that regard. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I definitely had the vision first. Like with this band, there was a band in England who aren't very well known, but they really should have been called Deaf School. And they started about 74, but by the time I saw them, it was early 76, and they were like, or even summer, spring, they were like, um, they were brilliant. They took loads of elements from the past 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and just made it all contemporary. They dressed amazing. Each one of them had their own personality, hmm. their own look. They were just brilliant. I saw them, and that inspired me, and I thought, I'm going to form something along those lines, maybe not the same. And I started writing songs for that, formed a band, got some people, you know. Simultaneously, punk was happening. Yeah. So we did our first couple of gigs as Deaf School, uh, not as Deaf School, but in that Deaf School band as Lucy and the Lovers. And, um, you know, we got heckled by punks. And cut a long story short, eventually we started dropping everything that was made us individual, really, and just became another punk band. Did you? So yeah. you, you kind of, because you, you always seem such a person who's, you know, done their own thing, but you got, you, put, you bowed to the pressure of that kind of... I did, I did. I didn't know it. It was subconscious, do you know what I mean? It was yeah. like, yeah, but looking back, I definitely did. I mean, I, there's a few times I've done that. It's just that I think probably because I've done it and found it so painful... Mm. That is why I'm trying to be so staunch about not compromising, you know. Yeah. And so when did the the germ of Dexys come about then? Um, well, I was in the, we were in this punk, I was in this punk band with these guys and um, the Killjoys, and we'd been trying to get a record deal, and it was kind of going nowhere. And then, I think it was early 78, I just thought, oh, this is really hard work. And then I just thought, what I really want to do is, you know, play soul music. Play music that's got soul in it. And I just thought, wow, that would be a great thing to do now or soon, you know. And um, and I just thought, we carried on with the Killjoys, and I just thought, okay, well, as soon as... I had this stupid idea that once we get signed to a label, we then break up right. and, and do what we want to do. Okay. I don't know why I thought that. That's what I thought. But anyway, they, those guys did it for me. They... Um, they basically just, uh, three of them, they just left together. They'd already been rehearsing for their own band, and they oh. left. So you were on your own? That was on my own. But that was well, kind of handy. Kevin Archer, yeah, who had recently joined the guitar player. Yeah. Okay, so you were sort of free to, to, to dream it all up again, really? Exactly. And and for a while, for a couple of weeks, I was like, oh, no, what am I going to do? I haven't got my band. And, da, 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 da. and then I just thought, you know what? What about that thing I wanted to do? And that's exactly what I did. And the name came from where? Well, we'd already formed by the time we got the name. Um, we we just um, just had a kind of a meeting or several meetings about the name, and we had Midnight Runners for ages. We we needed something that preceded it, and we we couldn't think of anything, and then we came up with Dixies. 
and more for the sound of the word than the literal meaning. And, you know, you said about Death Skull, did you still have that idea that the thing to do in a band was to have a kind of very much a vision and a look? And a... We did, yeah. It's very much a look. And, um, yeah, we just kind of, exactly that, we kind of dreamed the whole thing up and then went about forming it, creating it. And did people mind when you said you all have to wear dungarees? Well, we weren't wearing dungarees then. That was like three years later. Well, what were you wearing first then? What was the first? Uh... <laughs> the first, well, I mean, we tried a lot of looks, but the first one that we became known for was the kind of New York stevedore thing. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, which was like on the waterfront, all that stuff, mean streets, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, no, I think everybody was into it. And you see, with the whole thing as well, Kevin, that you wanted to be very different, uh, having blended in with the punk thing and that didn't make you feel good, then exactly. was it a case of you now wanted to just stand out? And and I suppose we're talking about new romantic type of time and the kind of, are we sort of spandau ballet type of time and that kind of a look that's going yeah, on? Yeah, I mean, just before that we were about. Yeah. Just before that, like six, nine months before that started. Yeah. But there was nothing, nobody liked what you were doing. There wasn't a kind of wave of it or a trend. So you were really doing something that when people turned on the telly or wherever... They, well, know. I don't know. I, I I don't know if it was that... I mean, it was quite different, I suppose, but I don't know if it was that different because against what was going on at the time, I don't know, really. Um, I think it looked all right. I think it looked all right. Well, now, I just want to talk to you now about Come and Eileen, if that's mm-hmm. okay, because yeah. that happened in 1982, and mm-hmm. it's it's such a long time ago, in a way, but mm-hmm. it's... Um, and I'm sure you're very fed up talking about it. I hope you don't mind me asking, but I think yeah, that's what it's... you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've just first of all, it's an. I was just saying to someone today, it is it is an incredible song, an amazingly brilliant song on every level, lyrically, the sound of it, everything, and to have that a song that's actually brilliant, and to have a song that you put on and everybody wants to dance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is is quite an extraordinary achievement, it I is. think. And and I still hear it, and I never ever, and I get sick of many songs, you know. And you right. kind of go, oh, I can't. I can still listen to that song from beginning to end, and okay. just still absolutely love it. Good and, to know. Well, and I think a lot of people feel like that, you know. Mm. But at the same time, I also read you t- saying in an interview because you were going along, and you're, and you know, you'd had Gino, and you were, so you're being. You were, you know, people were liking it, but it was a kind of low level thing, and then and then this song comes out, and it goes crazy. Yeah. And I saw you saying it fucked everything up. Did I say that? Yeah, somewhere. Really? In one of these papers. Or maybe Don't somebody know. said it to you and you agreed or something like that. But did it? Did, when you look back, is that what it feels like? Or at the time, no. it probably didn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like any of them things, Okay. actually. I don't know what it feels like. Now it feels completely different. It's so long ago. I mean, it's nearly... Where are we? 17. Isn't that nearly it's, 35 years yeah, ago? Yeah, it's amazing. I can't That's believe it's time. that long ago. So, you know, I've gone through many phases with it. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I'm grateful for it now. I'm grateful for it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's like, I mean, at the same time, I'm very careful not to live in the past. Mm. You know, um we don't do any, we don't do revival shows or any of those 80s shows. We wouldn't dream of doing them. Just wouldn't dream of doing them. There's nothing wrong with them, but it's not for us. I went and saw one of them once, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was just nothing but depressing. <laughs> it was really depressing. 
there was no real, I didn't feel there was any respect for the artists or anything. Yeah. It was just all about re people reliving their memories. And again, nothing wrong with that. But that's not my cup of tea. And we did some shows in 2013. We did nine nights at the, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, I can't remember now. Some theatre in London. Because our show was very theatrical. We kind of acted the songs out, yeah. really. And um, the show was two hours and 20 minutes. It was a lot of work. Um, but we kept everybody's attention for that. We got rave reviews. Like, honestly, we got five-star reviews. And we got... You know, we went down, we got a stand innovation um, before we'd, you know, we're just playing the new album, before we'd played an old song. We didn't play Common Eileen on any of those shows. We dropped it. And we did a Latin version of Gina, which was the other hmm. big hit. And, um, you know, people went away, honestly, ecstatically happy. I'm not just saying that, but they really did. There's a TV program of it. You can check it out. Yeah, I think I've seen it. On, is it yeah. on YouTube? No worries, yeah. 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 So it's got a lot of the live footage, you know, so those shows, have, you know, they've really gone down well and then people still I still see things about them. So so there it is, you know. Yeah. Um, that's just how we do, you know. We have to take a short break now, but come back and we'll be hearing more from Kevin Rowland. Hi, I'm Cathy Sheridan, the host of the award-winning women's podcast. It's a twice-weekly look at the world from a female perspective, full of feminism, humour, politics, sex, storytelling, relationships and more. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. You can find us on irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts or on your preferred podcast app. When you when you sat down and you wrote Come on Eileen and after it was finished and the and the, the sing you know, you it was produced and all that, did did you have a kind of sense of what it w might be or that it was well, like I just said, an incredible, incredible song? Well, when we were writing it I did. When we were I remember writing that that bit sorry, excuse me. I've not warmed up today or for a week or two. But anyway, I need to do that in advance of my Dublin thing. Um, yes. Sing a little bit with a... With a oh, record. do you? Oh, yeah, great. a little bit. So I need to um, to warm up. But anyway, um, I was going to say, that bit, and then I think when I got that, when that lyric came to... Very simple lyric, but I thought, wow, that's just so right. You know, sometimes things just, you think, wow, that's just so right. Um, and then I thought, that could this could be really, really good and do really, really well. But I think by the time the actual record come out, we'd made the album, which had been a bit of a torturous process because some of the group were leaving um, and the record company weren't really up for us. You know, they were starting to lose faith in us. They were a mm -hmm. bit like, well, look, lads, if the next single doesn't do it. It's that kind of thing. Yeah. And the producers <clears throat> had started off keen. What happened is before we released we recorded the album, which included Come On Eileen. It's part of the album recording. We recorded another single called Celtic Soul Brothers, yeah. and it was released. And everybody was going, this is going to be a smash, including the record company and the guys that had produced it, everybody. Well, it wasn't. And that, that it, it became clear that it wasn't going to be a smash like the week after we'd started recording the album. So my memory is, they might say different, but the producers were on a little bit of a downer. Mm. They were like, mm, this project isn't going to be that great. And they didn't seem to want to, you know, I felt that they wanted to finish it a bit quick. And um, 
I don't know, but there was some good moments after that, you know what I mean, where they were into it, and, and I kind of, again, lost confidence, and there was a couple of things I did on that album that I, you know, where I compromised, and I just thought, mm, I don't know about that, but everybody's going, yeah, yeah, it's all right, don't worry. I kind of went along with that. Um, so my confidence was low as well, you know, the record label seems not that interested. Or just sort of, I don't know, even the producers were going to say, oh, well, if you were more like other bands, you'd be successful, you know. That kind of thing. And um, our stock was just very low, put it that way. And then and then come Eileen, on Eileen happened. Yeah. So it, it, that must have been an incredible feeling. And everywhere you went, suddenly it was. this was, it was the song it was. of that year. I mean, it was the best-selling single that year in England, wasn't it? I think it was, yeah. Yeah. Um, and what about now when you go around? I mean, you must hear it everywhere all the time. I don't hear it everywhere do you all the time. I hardly <laughs> ever hear it. Really? No, what do you feel like it. when you hear it then? I don't go to pubs. <laughs> much and it's I suppose uh, I went to some old, uh, a funeral in Harrow like I was saying where I grew up some an old friend and um, you know there was a wake and um, someone put it on then you know and they, <laughs> they some people do that if I'm there all right <laughs> they'll put it on and then they'll look at me oh, see my reaction you know what I mean um, you don't yeah. play it in your DJ set then? Do I have? <laughs> it would be the height of uncool. It would be very and you're and you're nothing if not cool. Well, so you I know, don't know. it's I, not just about being cool. It would just be it's just not me. That's no. Not. Don't Sam Me Down come out in 1985, right? Is that right? That is right. Um, and your look for that and your vision for that was could not have been more different than mm-hmm. say the yeah, very yeah. I'm proud of that. Yeah, which is I mean, I'm and proud so that we do things differently. Brave. And we want to be different, and we and we react to what we've done before. That's what we do. But I just think that I mean I have to say that album, and I know I mean I'm so glad that now it seems that people seem to hail it as a masterpiece. I've seen that word yeah. used at it. Yeah. Again, it's got a life of its own now. It's been out thirty years. You know, it's, it's like. Amazing. It's just like, and it's not me anymore. That's why it's hard to comment on them songs. You know what I mean? I'm not being yeah. rude about it. I'm no, really proud of it. And when we finished it, I couldn't believe how good it was, the album. I thought, <laughs> you know, and that's all you can hope for is that, like, I mean, it's a weird thing happens. We had it with the first album. We had it with some songs on the second album, like Come On Eileen and one or two others. But we generally, I wasn't happy with the album, the sound of it, some of the performance. Just We just weren't at the races all of the time. But Don't Stand Me Down, we had it as well. It's like, when you get it, as good as you think it can be, yeah. then you, you can leave the studio happy, you know. But plus, when you get it as good as you think it can be, and you strive to get it as good as you kind of know in your heart it can be, if you just do it right and you be true to it and you serve it properly, um, you get something else. You get something. It's like almost like you get a gift. It just takes up. You know what I mean? You get yeah. it's like another sheen comes over it, and you think, bloody hell, it's better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Do you know what brilliant. I mean? And that's what that's what I find really. Yeah, that's an incredible <laughs> thing to walk away from something knowing that you did everything you could. But it didn't. It, it didn't do that well, did it? And that, how how disappointing is that then? When you when you know that something's amazing and you know that it deserves all the acclaim. And well, you know what? I don't know. To be honest, when I heard it was going, you know, it was the end of the end of the campaign. I was kind of relieved in a way. I just breathed a sigh of relief and just went. Phew. I did. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. And was it was it sort of all over then in terms of that stage of your? I think it was really. Yeah. And you weren't sad about that. Well, 
I probably was on some kind of deep level, but you know what it meant was the stress was over, the pressure was over. Do you know what I mean? That, yeah. that, that I'd been that I'd felt that it'd been quite considerably weighing on me for the previous five years or whatever it was. You know, it just it just had, and um, that's what it meant. And yeah, for sure, I would like probably you know I'd like hear some record on the radio and think I don't know why that you know. Why is that success? Why is that getting played? What, you know? And I found that, you know, we also made three great videos for that album, and yeah. I found myself, you know, for a while, like with friends come round, I go, oh, "Do you want to watch this video?" <laughs> you know, because I think I just felt I needed some kind of outlet for it in a way, and people just didn't, hadn't heard it. You know, it was yeah. like it was just this how it was. It just, you know, yeah, it's not the end of the world, you know. But yeah, it was like. It was difficult, really. I suppose it was difficult. And it made me... I think it made me a bit... I think... Oh, I, don't know, I don't know where I was. I was a different person then, you know. Yeah. So you you kind of were off... You, you, you know, some people would say, oh, that that band, they had come and Arlene, and that was it, one-hit wonder type of thing. And that, well, we had two number ones. Yeah, well, country. exactly. You, you certainly weren't... Um, uh, one-hit wonders. But there was that... Was there that kind of feeling or that kind of dismissiveness about your career had you felt or do you ever feel like that um or do you sense that from other people because it's not true um, but, you know you know uh, look okay if there's some people who don't know who don't really follow music that much but they'll know come on eileen and if somebody introduces me to them you know what i mean they meet me yeah. and they go well, what do you do i mean i i kind of try to avoid all that you know that i really try and avoid all that people there are be there will be some people who go Oh, I remember, come on, Eileen. You were that guy who sung that, weren't you? Or something. I'd go, yeah. And, you know, that's fine, but then they'll go, oh, he's still doing music, or whatever, you know. And that's all right. Um, but that's not... That's not the world that I live in. Do you know what I mean? Like, the audience that we play to are not that audience. No. They're the... You know, we purposely do something smaller you know we don't do those if we put on our posters we changed our name from Dexys Midnight Runners to Dexys to say that we're different now it's us but we're not the same uh, we did that you know like when we came back in 2012 with one day I'm going to soar so yeah. if we put on our posters Dexys Dexys Midnight Runners come on Eileen Gino blah 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 do you know what I mean we'd be playing to bigger crowds yeah but we don't inhabit that world really and you don't want to. I don't. No. Um, does it? Does having a big, huge hit like "Come On, Eileen" though allow you to sort of? I presume the royalties and all that kind of stuff. It's one of those songs that's played everywhere all the time. You can kind of Irish, aren't you? <laughs> Is that bad? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You definitely. I only saw only an Irish person. Well, how much are you getting? I don't want to know that. I mean, you want to see my bank statement? No, or, I just or a, mean, a letter from my accountant. Oh so. no, come on, Kevin. I just mean that, like, you, you can kind of. And you're definitely a journalist as well. Oh, sorry. I'm going to. Well, no, I was just saying, when you have a hit like that, does it allow you a certain freedom to do what you want more than? The, is the pressure off in that way? No, a it's bit? not. Okay. I can do with more money, definitely. Right. You know. I, I, and I don't want to go into all this, but we didn't have fantastic deals in those days. Far from it. Yeah. There was no lawyers involved. It was just like a 50-page contract. Oh, I don't know what it says. Oh, give me the pen. I'll sign yeah. it anyway. I said it was. That's what we did. 
Um, so, no, it doesn't. I don't have this great luxury, but, you know, and I'm not rich, you know, but I'm not bothered. That's not, that's not it for me. I had that once. Yeah. It didn't do it for me. I was miserable. Not because I had money, but because I didn't feel that I was doing what I really wanted to do. So now I'm doing what I really want to do. And if I make money out of it, great. And if I don't, well, I'll be okay. I've never had to starve. Well, that's good. And I'm sorry for being impertinent and Irish and asking you about your uh, well, financial you know, situation. That's not, that's not a facet of every Irish person, but I think the Irish are quite, for, quite forthright in that way. Yeah, OK. Well, I'm sorry. We'll move on from that. Um, so tell me about the, the years then in between, because you had the couple of solo albums and some issues in your life where you were, you were a bit lost and you weren't that happy, let's say. But it's like a life story, isn't it, this? Yeah. Um, yeah, I had them, yeah. And what, was the, what were your difficulties? Or what was that period where you weren't feeling so happy? And well, I don't know. I've never felt really happy. Have you? Yeah, that's a good question. No, it is. There's always something underlying, isn't there? Yeah. Nothing's quite right, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Those curtains are not straight. <laughs> that's true. It's awful. <laughs> Terrible. The human condition, like? Yeah, the human condition. <laughs> I think I had a good smattering of it. I think you do. Uh, an extra percentage, maybe. But then again, some of us do, don't we? Yes, and it's that's hard. right okay I can honestly tell you I feel more at peace these days than I've ever been and I don't feel at peace all the time far from it but I really really work on it you know what do you do to work on it I do meditation Uh, I do things like qigong I try to get in the moment you know go for walks Stuff like that that I never knew about. Stuff that I just didn't know about, you know. I try and be healthy, reasonably healthy. How about you? What do you do? I'm not doing enough. I'm just listening to it all, thinking of all the things I should be doing. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, to well, yeah I, I could do more, I'm sure. I'm sure. I was going to say I do yoga, but I haven't done any for like <laughs> a week. But I do do it. Maybe by just saying it, though, we would we'll get That'll back in. <laughs> That'll do it. And um, are you a vegan? Is that right? Not far off. Okay. I'm not vegan. I tend to... I go to vegan cafes and things like that quite a lot. I eat eggs, but apart from that, I'm pretty much vegan, really. And, you, oh, you know, I'm... See, I'm just feeling really inadequate here listening to all your uh, good habits that I okay. that I ha- aspire to, but I haven't quite got there yet. But um, there's a bit of time, I think. Um, Hopefully. Yeah, so the peace and calm is obviously something that I know it's not all the time, but that's that's enjoyable, isn't it? That's nice. To well, have I get, that. I get, I get. I don't. I have it far from all the time. Far from it. You know, I still have a lot of disturbance going on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I really, I really, really do work at it because uh, you know it's not creative. All that stuff. The creativity comes from something else. You know, some people say, "Oh, well, you, you know, you could you could talk about that." I mean, you don't know me, but you could talk about that, and you and you could say, "Well, isn't that what drives you?" But I've always had too much drive. Hmm. I've never, I've still got too much drive. I've got to calm it down. So, I was just thinking there about um, I don't know why it came into my head about dance, dance, and you know when you read out all those Irish names in that yeah. s- song, 
just going back to the Irish thing, was that important for you at the time when that came out that you wanted that you wanted to sort of be in England and saying and talking about all those incredible Irish people and the contribution that they'd made? Is that what you were doing there? With that well, I, did, I sort of was, but I wasn't actually. You know what I was doing really? Um, right. It's hard to imagine England in the seventies, but it was kind, especially where I was in Smithwick, which is in the Black Country, mm. outside of Birmingham. The people in Smithwick, six or seven miles from Birmingham, wouldn't go into Birmingham, some of them, because it was they would consider it uh, dangerous. And they, you know, that they, they, they lived in a pretty small world, you know? And plenty of them would be telling Irish jokes. Yeah. And Irish jokes were prevalent at that time. And you would hear it all the time, how stupid Irish people were. So I used to do things like, there was a guy I knew who used to tell Irish jokes. So he'd tell me the joke, and then I'd tell him the same joke back, but about Smithwick <laughs> people, which is where he was. <laughs> Gotta say, that went down well. Is that one well, of the, those legendary get, fights? I used to get about halfway through the joke <laughs> before he'd realise what I was doing. So I used to do that. But I was hearing a lot of it, and one day I was just really angry and I that really fucking pissed off about it, and I wrote it down. I started to write that song, you know. Hmm. And then uh, I hadn't read most of those writers, but I had a biography of Brendan Behan, and in the front jacket bit of it, it says something like, um, previous writers like Oscar Wilde, and then others <laughs> like George Bernard Shaw, and it listed all these writers. I thought, oh, great. So I love him, I love him. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't remember where I found the rest of them. I just brought, <laughs> put them all in. Brilliant. And that's what we did. Another fantastic song. And then a few years ago, you had let the record show Dexys yeah. do Irish and Country. So, Well, that was like last year. Yeah, that's only last year. That's right. Yeah, so, what about um, One Day I'm Going to Soar? Well, yeah, so that? before that, you had Dexys One Day I'm Going to Soar. So tell me about that album. Have you heard it? I haven't actually heard that one. Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah, but now I'm going to go. They, you now I've what? ruined I'm everything. I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. The Mojo review, you can check it out, said it might just be better than Don't Stand Me There. Right, well... Yeah, check it out. You know what I'll be doing immediately after this, but... Check the review out if you don't believe me. No, I I actually believe you. All right. (laughs) Well, anyway, the shows that went with it, we played the whole album, every show we did from 2012 to 2014, and ultimately, like I said, we put it in a theatre because it was a theatrical show, and we acted them out. And it really worked. I think we made a mistake in the first single we released. We released She's Got a Wiggle. We should have released Incapable of Love. Because that was, I don't know, the right one, really, but we didn't. I'll, I'll go and listen to it, and then I'll ring you back another All time, right. and, you'll, and, and I'll tell you cool. <laughs> everything. But then t- talk to me about the um, Irish one. Uh, there were songs, obviously, that you had heard for a very long time from various Irish kind of encounters. Well, they weren't all Irish. It's half of the songs yeah. are Irish and half are American and British. So, mixture. Okay, but what about the Irish ones like Carrick Fergus? They obviously meant a lot to you. Yeah. Um, it's incredible vocal performance like you, you. your whole heart is in there and it is it is again something happened with that you know it's like something happened it's like we did all the work put all the components in we did the best we could in preparation do you know what i mean and then something happened you know when i went in the studio to sing it when i started singing it and they started playing it you know it's like 
you know, I'm sure you're a journalist, right? Yeah. So do you find sometimes you get into like a state of grace where you just, it's almost like you're not doing it. It's yeah. happening. Yeah. Yeah, that's what happened with that. It's amazing. Yeah. And to be honest, I'm not kidding you, all of them really on that album. All of them in different ways. But that one, it was weird. I just felt like, you know, because I'd kind of looked into it. And my dad had told me about the long distance men that that song's about, you know, and those guys that used to, and what they wore. He told me what they wore and all that. Those Irish guys that used to travel around. And, um, yeah. And that's why we left the cough on. Yeah. Because exactly. most of those guys died of TB. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting. But the cough came very, uh, like, it wasn't deliberate no, or anything. in the slightest. No, I'm telling you the truth. I'll tell you what happened. I went in the studio to sing it. I did it once or twice. We had a couple of run-throughs. I was wearing the clothes of the long-distance man, because I always find that helps me. Mm. And um, something happened after about two takes, and I felt shivery. And I did. I felt my back hunch over. And they played the take. They played us one okay, Let's go. Let's do it again. I sang it. As soon as I started, I just felt like I was in that thing. I was mm. in that character totally. And uh, I felt cold and shivery. I coughed, you know. And the way we record is we record several versions. And then we take them away with us. We don't make the decision there and then. We take them away. And some weeks later, we'll, we'll choose the right one. We used to do that with Don't Stand Me Down. That's how we've done it for a long, long time, whenever we make an album. And I, one of, part of my process is I'll play, I'll send out however many versions, six, seven, eight, nine, to different people, to a few trusted friends, you know? Yeah. And I'll say, which version do you like? And... Um, Two people I sent it to, really, who really... I mean, I think I might have sent it to three or four, but two that <clears throat> came back to me with really convincing arguments, and they both chose that one. And the best one, the real convincer, was Tim Vigan, who used to manage us. He's now moved to Los Angeles, terrific guy, and loves the music. He's all about music. He's just a great guy. And, um, and he went to me, that one, including mm. the cough and the <laughs> sigh at the end. And, um, yeah, and he just went, I'm in tears listening to it. Yeah. You can't really get a better compliment than that. No, it's gorgeous. But I think I think everything, that's the hallmark of what you do. It's very moving. It's very emotional because it's so real and authentic or something. I think when you're at your height of your yeah. powers, that's what it feels like yeah. to me. Well, that's better than just going playing all the old hits, isn't it? It is, it is. It definitely is. Yeah. Um, you're coming to Dublin uh, on April 8th. And you're going to be Saturday night. Yeah, you're going to be taking part in um, Music Town, which is a big festival of music all over all the it? city. Yeah, Music Town. I didn't know that. <laughs> well, when they when they tell you now, you'll know. Okay. Okay, so it's called Music Town, and you're going to be doing a DJ set, which you sometimes do. So, what can people expect? Um. Well, one of the things I like to do is get people dancing and keep them dancing. You know. Um, and I've just been working on it this morning, um, just getting my records ready and all that. Um, a bit like with music, you know, uh, with our music, you have to vary it. So we play different styles, you know, play some soul, um, you know, there'll be some, probably a couple of pop records, a couple of sexy rock things, 
be a bit of funk, a bit of reggae. But, you know, it's not about the records you play, I believe. It's about the order you play them in. Ah, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's, That's what I think. That's my experience. <laughs> Very good. We had um, Lisa O'Neill in here not so long ago. Yeah, yeah she's brilliant, isn't she? She's amazing. Um, but she was she was saying how you'd met at the Imagining Ireland concert, yeah. and, and she'd been over to see you. And yeah, she's great. She's great. Well, was might it might be coming Saturday? I'm not sure. And what was it that you like about Lisa's music, or what did you? I mean, was it the case of when you first heard her, you were like, wow? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, um, what it was is we went over there to do that thing and we went for the rehearsal and the woman said she was going to get us a girl singer and she didn't have what the girl singer couldn't make it and she went, oh, well, Lisa can do it. I went, all right. And I said, I, said, I try Lisa on it. She said, so we tried Lisa. I thought, okay, that sounds all right. And then the woman said, the woman was running it, Kate St. John said, um, Kate, oh, Kate somebody, she said, um, uh, John, I think so. She said, um, come tomorrow and look at the other artists. And I wasn't even sure I was going to do that. Because yeah. I'm a bit cynical like you are. You know, like you are with money. <laughs> I'm a bit like that with music and bands and all that. I, think, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like them. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, I thought I'd go along. And then I just found I had nothing to do. And I thought, I'm going to go down the studio. And I just saw Lisa doing England Has My Man. Mm. And I was just like, wow. Yeah. Can we go for a cup of tea afterwards? <laughs> She said, sure. So we became good friends, you know. Lovely. Mm. That's great. What else are you listening to or what do you like of contemporary music? Uh, all kinds, really. Um, you know, all kinds of stuff. Uh, just anything, really. I just, I'm always, li- I mean, I'm, I'm not always listening. I don't have a great passion for listening to music, you know what I mean? I, mm. But I, I, you know, like in England, Radio One is the um, the modern music station, you know, contemporary music station, and Radio Two is the old stuff. I'll I'll listen to Radio One lately more than I will listen to Radio Two. So anything really. Okay. I think there's good things around. And before you go, what what are you working on at the moment in terms of your next project? Have, are you writing a lot or? I'm not really. Um, not really. Um, no. Uh, I just don't really feel like writing at the moment. Um, I'm enjoying DJing. I'm doing a couple of other little things that I'm interested in developing, creative things, but non- non-music things, which I'd really like to do. Because I want to, you know, I want to do more things, you know. I've had a long, I had a long break. Yeah. So, How long uh, was your break? I don't know. Well, Dexys didn't do an album for 26 years. Yeah. I did two albums in that time. Yeah. That's a long break. That is. Yeah. So you say you have things to do, not just musically, other, other things yeah. as well. Okay. Yeah. I want to do a couple of non-music things. That like, I've kind of always had at the back of my mind, but never really got around to doing them. Like what? Well, no. Well, no. I'm not going to tell you now. That's really good, Kevin. Like that. Oh, no, no, I <laughs> it up then. Um, I'm much better at a uh, County Mayo accent, you know. Jeez, you sound like our Taoiseach there. Is that right? <laughs> Who's the Taoiseach? Enda Kenny. Oh, Jesus. Fine man. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> he was over there with Trump with his bowl of shamrock. There. He was, oh, he was, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He did well, did, uh, didn't he? Well, yes, 40 no, million that thing hits. that he said about the Yeah, no, he did. He said St. Patrick was, was an immigrant. Well, you know what? I don't know anything about him, but I like the other fella, the little bloke. <laughs> Michael D., our president. Yeah. You met him What's at the... Uh, about that? <laughs> Just the little fella, that's all. Oh, I know, I'm terrible. <laughs> it's all right. Everyone says that here. It's okay. Oh, do they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He doesn't nice mind. Guy, huh? Did you meet him at that um, concert then? Yeah, yeah, he came. I saw him in the London one, yeah. And that was a buzz because my folks came and they met him and all that. So that was nice, yeah. And you, are both your parents still alive? Not anymore, sadly. My mother passed on New Year's Eve, but my dad's still oh. going strong. My dad's 99. Wow. When's yeah. he 100? Well, next March. He's just turned 99. And what's his um, name? John. And what was your mum's name? Maureen. Okay. And what did John... Why do you want to know that? Oh, it was just, well, I just thought because we were talking about them earlier and sometimes you talk about people's parents and you don't ask their names and sure, okay. as if they're not people, you know. But no, I know exactly what you mean. What, yeah, that's right, as if they're not people. What did John think of your career and all your success and everything? Because he'd be very different, I suppose, being a, you know, in a more straight... He said to me uh, a few years ago, you might have been better if you stayed in the building trade with me. Did he? That's so Irish. Yeah. yeah, but no, generally I think he's proud, you know. He, he, I think so, he is, you know. He has told me once, he said he was proud of me. Yeah, 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 I think so. Um, it's something he doesn't understand. It's not his thing, you know what I mean? He, yeah. He, he was very uh, concerned with security. But having said that, he set up his own building business, you know what I mean? And that was a risk. But um, but he was very concerned with security for his children, really. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, no, no, he's a, he's all right. We've got a pretty good relationship these days. You've got good genes there if... Uh, I have. You know, you're going to be you're going to be around to do those non-musical secret things that you won't tell me about for, for quite right. a while. That's right, Roisin. <laughs> I will. Maybe you'll come back and tell me about them the next time. You never know. Kevin Rowland, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast and the best of luck with everything you do. Bless you. Thanks, Rosie. Unfortunately, that's all the time I had to talk to Kevin Rowland, but he is playing in the Grand Social on Saturday night with DJ Dandelion. The podcast is produced by Jennifer Ryan with Declan Conan on sound. I'm Roisin Ingle, and I'll talk to you next time.